The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, are you ready for the big event? Oh, I don't mean the Super Bowl. I'm talking about Valentine's Day. <laughs> Just two more weeks, guys. <laughs> well, the stores have been ready for a while. On uh, January 1st, I, I went to a grocery store, and I thought, well, I'd, I'd check out to see what bargains I could get with the Christmas leftovers. But all I found were big displays of Valentine candy already on January 1st. You go into any grocery store, and that's what you're going to see, right? right? All the displays about Valentine's Day. And probably one of the most common things you will see are these cardboard hearts filled with all those yummy chocolates. Now, I've got a little problem with those chocolates, and maybe you do too. You don't know what you're going to get, right? You pick it up, and it's kind of a gamble. You don't know what you're going to get until you bite into it. And it might be good, or it might be not so good. So you really have to taste it to see. I wonder if that's the way it is with God, too. What is God like to people? Some people might see him as a very powerful being who can do anything, other people might think of him as an angry God. Because why would he allow all this trouble? And why would he not fix the problems that I have in my life? But other people might see him as a compassionate deity. Somebody who knows and who cares. What do you think about God? Maybe like those chocolate candies, it depends on what you experience. What if God were to tell us what he is like? Would that make a difference? Would then we see God as he really is and not just go by what we experience and how we interpret that? Well, God does tell us what he's like. He opens up for us his heart and lets us look inside. So this morning, let's look into the heart of God. We're going to do so on the basis of some words that God spoke to Moses. God opened up his heart to Moses. And here's what he said. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And when Moses heard that, he bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. What do you think God is like? Does it depend on your experience of him? What do you think Moses thought? 
And what was going on that the Lord was making this declaration of himself? Well, these words are spoken to Moses when God had given him the second set of Ten Commandments. The second set, you might say. What happened to the first set? Moses broke them. So we might ask the question, how do you see God? Because that's what Moses was going through. You see, Moses had just received those Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. He came down from the mountain to the people of Israel, and here's what he found. He found them worshiping a calf that they made out of gold. That, they said, was their God now. And they were partying sinfully. Imagine that. Here they had just been rescued by God out of their slavery, and now they've rejected God and are worshiping some statue. Moses was so upset, he took those two tablets of stone and smashed them. And then he went back up the mountain to talk to God. And when he got up there, he pleaded to God, forgive these people and assure me as the leader of these two million rebellious people that you're going to be with me, that you're going to take us to that promised land. And then he asked for one more thing. Get this. Then Moses said, Lord, now show me your glory. Really? After all that mess down there? Now God should show him his glory? Here's what God says in reply. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said to him, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. I wonder if our request sometimes isn't like that of Moses. Lord, let me see your glory. Now, why would we ask a question like that? Well, why did Moses ask that question? Think about all the things that he just went through. He was picked by God to stand up to Pharaoh and say, let these people go. And God showed his power over the Egyptians with those ten plagues. And Moses led these two million people out of Egypt only to be chased by the Egyptian army and trapped at the Red Sea. But God opened that Red Sea so they could cross safely. 
And now, going through the wilderness on the way to Canaan, what do they experience? No food, no water, threats from other nations. Moses is getting a bit discouraged. The people are complaining. And then he gets those Ten Commandments, goes down to tell the people, here's how God wants us to live. And they're already partying away, worshiping some other God. I would say he was pretty discouraged. And maybe we go through similar things too. You know, some tough times, some trials, some testing of our faith, temptations, needs that go unmet. And maybe that's our appeal to God then. God, show me your glory. Let me see your power. Take care of my problems. Fix this. Is it wrong to ask for that? No. It's not wrong to ask God for reassurance. God wants us to come to Him. He knows we doubt. He knows we have fears. And He wants to reassure us. But we need to be careful that we don't let His answer disappoint us. And that will happen if we set the standards if we tell God how he's supposed to answer. The Apostle Thomas was that way, wasn't he? When he heard Jesus was alive. I don't believe that. Not unless I see him. Not unless I can touch those wounds. Then I'll believe. And Jesus came to him to reassure him and told him, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. In other words, let God be God. Let God reveal the answer that is best for us. So what answer will God give us now? How do I know what it'll be? Like those chocolates in the box? Am I going to have to wait to experience it? No. God reveals to us who he is. He said, you want to see my glory? No. I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass in front of you as I proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. So God's answer for us to see his glory is, I'll show you my goodness. And my friends, that's good enough. Let me show you why. Let me show you inside God's heart. It's what he proclaimed about himself. He said, the Lord, the Lord. Now, you may have noticed that that word is in all capitalized letters. Sometimes we will do that when we write because we're trying to call attention to it. But the reason it really is capitalized is because it's really two Hebrew words written on top of each other, one on top of each other. You see, the Lord really said, Yahweh, that is, I am. But the Jewish scribes were afraid to say that word, so instead they wrote the word Lord 
over it. But what God was really proclaiming was, I am. I am. And by that he was telling us, I am constant. I don't change. And therefore, I am dependable. Whenever you see that word, that name in the scriptures, remind yourself of God's covenant. That very solemn, sacred, faithful promise that he gave us about who he is and what he'll do for us. That's what he was assuring Moses of. You can depend on me. I am. Now, people may have their different ideas of of what God is like, but he himself has told us. And he reassures us by saying, I am. Jesus, in fact, used that phrase, I am, many times in his ministry. He told the Jewish teachers that before Abraham was, I am. And they were upset at him because they knew that was God's name. But Jesus also said, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. We see the goodness of God for us right there in Jesus. You want to see God's glory? He'll show you his goodness. Look at your Lord Jesus. Now God goes on in his proclamation to tell us what's in his heart. I am, he said, compassionate. And, and that word in the Hebrew language meant a, a very deep, tender mercy. One, again, that was a constant unbroken love that displayed itself in care for others. In fact, the Apostle Paul referred to God as the God of all comfort and compassion, who comforts us in every need that we have. We look at Jesus and we see that compassion, as we heard about a few minutes ago in our scripture reading. The compassion, his heart, that went out to the people because they were hurting and what he did to take care of it. God sees our needs too, and he reaches out with his compassion to take care of us. God also said, I'm gracious. That means he shows us undeserved favor or pardon. This is a word that could only be used to describe our God, the true God, who is sovereign in all that he does. Nothing can interfere or change what he does. The Apostle John experienced that graciousness of God when he saw Jesus. And he wrote, And we beheld his glory. He was full of grace and truth. That grace of God is so important that the apostles used it as a, as a blessing for people when they would say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And they would encourage Christians to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God opens his heart up some more and shows us he is also slow to anger. The Hebrew word actually means he's got a long nose that doesn't burn. 
In other words, it would take a long time for God's nose to burn so that his anger would be in his face and he would do something. We like to say he's long-suffering. He puts up with us. He's patient. And you might say, well, I don't know. I've read times in Scripture where, where God gets angry. Yes, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it was always after a time of patience. This morning in our Bible class, we're going to be reading about the flood. The flood came after God had warned the people and gave them 120 years to get their act together. The scriptures tell us God is patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Think of how patient God is with you. God also went on then to say, I'm I'm abounding in love. And that word abounding means I'm overflowing with love. That word love is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's a combination of three ideas. The idea of strength and mercy or love and faithfulness. Isn't that exactly what we need? He'll go on to say he maintains this love. He keeps it, he preserves it, he guards it. He won't let anything break it or interfere with it. His love will always be there for us. His love is is so powerful and so characteristic of him. It's so different than the love we have. Our love is weak, It's, it's not always dependable. In fact, it's sometimes what I would call reciprocal. In other words, well, I'll show them love if if they show me love. But God's love is not like that. God's love is such an important part of his characteristic that the Apostle John even said, God is love. He also said, "I, I abound in faithfulness. The word means certain, steady, dependable. The scriptures describe him as our rock, our fortress, our refuge, our foundation. Nothing can change him. Jeremiah said, Great is your faithfulness, Lord. And the Apostle Paul said, He is so faithful, he cannot even deny himself. That is, he can't change what he says and does. He is so dependable. And finally, God says, I am forgiving. I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Those evil attitudes of your heart, those unkind words, those acts of selfishness, that rebelliousness against me, putting yourself over me, I forgive it all. Last week in my sermon, I told you that the scriptures use a variety of words to picture forgiveness for us. Last week we saw how it meant cleansing, washing away. This word means taking away. And the picture there is to pick up something that's a burden and to take it away and put it somewhere else. Now we just heard the passage, this passage where God also says he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That reminds us, really, of his forgiveness. You see, God is a just God. He cannot just simply ignore sin and and look the other way as if it didn't happen. 
He has to deal with it. And he says he will punish sin. But the sin isn't on us anymore because he has forgiven it. He has taken it off of us and put it somewhere else. The prophet Isaiah told us where it would go. He said the Messiah would come and bear our sins and iniquities. And he would bear the punishment for them as if he were a lamb led to slaughter. And the Apostle John said, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God put our sin on Jesus. And the punishment, the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross was more than just that, that hell of physical suffering. It was the hell of God's wrath for our sin, which we will not experience because our sins have been taken away. That's the heart of God. Do you remember a movie a few years ago, Forrest Gump? And remember the famous line from that movie? Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. My friends... We know what we're getting with the heart of God. He has told us, I am compassionate and gracious, patient and loving, faithful and forgiving. What do you want to see from God? Are you going through some difficult times? There are some challenges before you. Do you have some doubts, some worries? Don't give up on God's love and glory. It's always there and will never, ever fail you. The psalmist said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what I urge you to do. Look for God's goodness in your life. When you go into the grocery stores this week, next week, and you see those Valentine displays and you see those boxes of chocolate, think of the heart of your God and the goodness that he shows you. I know he's shown it because I've seen it in your life. And like Moses, here's how we can respond. Bow to the ground. And worship. Our response is to humble ourselves. Look what God has done for me. A sinner. Somebody who rebels against him. But he forgives. And he blesses. And he promises. And he's always there. I'm not going to demand of God. His name in Hebrew was Yahweh. Not your way. I will request his help, and I will accept what he gives me. And then I will worship him for who he is and what he has done, for what he has told me, what he has promised me. Moses, after this message from God, said to him, Lord, 
Take us as your inheritance. Lord, take my life. I am yours. That's worship. And Moses went on to say, and forgive us for all those sins we're going to do in the future. Because he knew his own heart and he knew the heart of the people. We would continue to sin, but God would maintain forgiveness. Then God responded with one more thing to Moses. He said, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders, never before done in any nation in all the world. The people, will live, the people who live among you will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. God is awesome. Just watch and be amazed at the wonderful things he will do. I know he does it. I've seen it in your lives. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to share that with us. When you came in the entryway, you saw a board that was there with a big heart on it. And there are some little hearts on the table. If you're so moved, take one of those hearts and just write down a word or two that says how God has blessed you. You don't have to sign your name. Just put down, what has God done to show me his goodness? And put it up there. And let everybody see how the love of God has filled our life. What do you want to see from God? His glory? Look at his heart. He opens up to you. Listen to his word. And then look for his working. Because he shows you his goodness. And as he shows you his goodness, so let it show to others. Let the love of God in your life be shown to others. Love others in the name of Christ. You'll hear a little more about that at the end of our service today. I want to see God's glory. For now, I'll see it in Jesus. But one day, my friends, you and I are going to stand there with him, clothed with his righteousness and with a perfect body. We will see his glory. Amen.